0: WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: Michelle and I years ago had a dear friend who believed that Christians should never get depressed. Then her thinking was, as I recall, because Christ was living in them, if Christ lives in you, then you are immune to depression. That that was her thinking. Well, that's you know what, that's bad theology. That's not biblical theology.
2: Wouldn't it be nice if being a Christian meant that we were always surrounded by peace and harmony? Many people think it should be that way. Some even pretend that it is and live in a state of denial every time something bad happens. You ask them, How are you? They always answer, fine even when everything is really falling apart. Here on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is starting a series today that will teach us about the God who comforts the depressed. We really need to hear this. Some of us are more desperate for this encouraging teaching than others. You may feel deeply the pressure of life as it closes in around you. You might even feel guilty or afraid. This message is for you. We're really glad to share the Word of God with you today here on Verse by Verse. Here's Pastor Steve. i
1: like you to open your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We continue our study of this wonderful book, and this is, this is just precious. This is wonderful, and it will be very, very practical and very relevant for us. But 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more." With these words, the Apostle Paul tells us something about himself that's very personal, very revealing, something I believe that few men and women of God would be so candid and transparent enough to really admit. He tells us that he experienced depression. Verse 6, he says that God who comforts the depressed, in this context, the depressed one he's talking about is himself. He's saying, God comforted me, and the thought here is God encouraged me, God strengthened me. It isn't the comfort of sympathy, it's the comfort of strength and encouragement. Paul was depressed. Now, what did Paul mean by the word that's translated in my version, depressed? And the question is, why was he depressed? Well, to answer question number one, the Greek word that's translated depressed literally means lowly, means lowly. It was used in the sense of being low, either economically or socially or emotionally, and that's how Paul is using it here. In Paul's case, he was emotionally low, which means he was down. He was down. He was disheartened. In fact, we say that today when someone is feeling a little blue and they're depressed, they say, I'm down. That's the thought here. He's down. Now, if you're a believer in Christ and you've experienced depression, it may encourage you to know that you're not the only Christian who has ever gone through depression. You're not the only one who's ever been down. Even the great apostle Paul experienced being emotionally low. We would would like to think that the man who wrote in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, never experienced any anxiety himself, but that was not the case. He certainly did. We'd like to believe that Paul, who wrote rejoice in the Lord, always, always rejoiced himself. But that's not the case, though he was a deep man of God. And I don't know anyone in the history of the church who is as godly as the apostle Paul. Even though that was the case, Paul was also very human and very transparent. And as someone who was human, he was susceptible to depression like all of us. And I think it's important to understand that. Michelle and I years ago had a dear friend who believed that Christians should never get depressed. That's what she believed. And her thinking was, as I recall, because Christ was living in them, if Christ lives in you, then you are immune to depression. That, that was her thinking. Well, that's you know what? That's bad theology. That's not biblical theology. And you know what happened to her? Sadly, towards the end of her life, she fell into a state of of. Really being depressed, and this did not compute with her theology. So on top of being down, she actually became more depressed over her depression. It was a, it was really a very sad situation, but I say this so that you would, you would understand and grasp that it's important to realize that believers in Christ, even the most spiritually minded believers, are not immune to being down and being depressed at times. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher and great man of God, once said this, I am the subject of depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. That was said by Spurgeon. On another occasion, Spurgeon said this, Although my joy is greater than most men, my depression is such as few can have any idea of. Spurgeon said that. So if you you want to keep in mind, having said that, that there is a difference between being down emotionally and being in despair. Paul was not in despair. What does it mean to be in despair? When you're in despair, you have no hope. You're disillusioned. Your view of God is is warped. You you see God as weak and and too impotent to care for you and handle your problems. That certainly was not where Paul was at. So we don't want to misunderstand that. Paul. And we want to keep this in mind, did not say, I am so down, I can't see God. That wasn't the case at all. Because remember, in this passage, Paul simply didn't state that he was depressed. He said, God is the one who comforts the depressed. Paul knew victory. Paul was brought out of this. In other words, God brings us out of depression by encouraging us when we're down. So being a believer in Christ doesn't make us immune from being down. And Paul was going through one of those down times in his life. In fact, it was quite serious. He was very, very down. So the question is, why? Why? We know what it means to be depressed. He means he was down, emotionally low. But why? Why was Paul in such a state of of depression? And more importantly, how did the Lord minister to him and bring him out of being down? Now, this is very important for us to grasp because if God comforted Paul and delivered him from his depression, that's what we want to learn so we can know and experience God working in our lives that way. And this passage of Scripture really deals with that. As I said, this is very relevant, very personal, very, very practical. So what was the cause of Paul's depression? Notice verse 5. He writes, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side conflicts without, fears within. Paul takes the Corinthians back to a very, very difficult time when he was in that part of the world known as Macedonia. Now, I want you to know this will make absolutely no sense to you unless you go back to Second Corinthians chapter 2. And it is very important that you do this because you read that and it seems isolated. Where did that come from? what's Paul talking about? I, I guarantee you, you will not make any uh, heads or tails of this passage unless you see what led up to it. So we go back to Second Corinthians chapter 2, and let's look at the first four verses. And I'm just putting this all together for you, laying the groundwork for what we will be studying this week as well as uh, the next few weeks to, to come. But I determined, he says in verse 1, I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote you, so that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful. But that you might know the love which I have especially for you. And in these verses, Paul explains why he had not paid the Corinthians a visit. They anticipated him, they anticipated rather that he would come and visit them. Remember that the book actually starts out by Paul saying that you question my sincerity because I have not returned to visit you. And here he explains why he had not gone back at this point. And what he's saying is that his last visit to them was extremely painful. It caused him great sorrow. It caused them great sorrow. And Paul, in essence, is saying, I don't want to go through that again. I don't want you to go through that again. I don't want to go through that again. And so I'm not visiting you yet until you take care of certain things. And he said, "He is. why, why was it so sorrowful? Because he had written them a very difficult letter. We believe the letter is known today as First Corinthians. It was a letter of rebuke. And they, quite frankly, had not received it very well. They had not said, this is wonderful. This is what we'll do. Thank you for pointing out our sins, Paul. No, they, they didn't receive it like that at all. Paul told them that they were divided. He told them they were worldly. He told them they were immoral. He said they were proud. He rebuked them for, for some of them being drunk at the Lord's Supper. He rebuked them for their lack of love, their showmanship, their doctrinal error, and, and and many other things. And they didn't receive it. The response he wanted from them was repentance. He wanted them to change their mind and forsake their sin, but that's not how they responded. Now, keep that in mind. He's written them a letter. Word gets back to to him that they're very disappointed. They think you're untrustworthy because you said you'd visit them again, but you're not visiting them. And so Paul hears this, and he is really feeling, I don't want to go back there yet, Not until they repent. Now, in the meantime, with all of this going on, in the meantime, between the letters of First and Second Corinthians, something adverse begins to happen to this church. False teachers, who he will later refer to as false apostles. So they're not just teachers. They're men who said they were actually apostles, which meant they had a lot more authority than teachers. They had arrived in Corinth, and they began to come into the church, and they brought with them certain accusations against Paul. Now, the Corinthians were already upset with Paul. So they were quite open to these accusations, and uh, they began to believe and embrace some of the charges leveled against the apostle. They charged him. That's why they charged him of being insincere. They charged him with preaching error, financially exploiting the church, acting in a dictatorial manner. And most serious of all, most serious of all, they said, you're not a real apostle. You're a pretender. You're a fake. And The way we know that is you're constantly suffering. For if you were a real man of God, you would not suffer. God must be punishing you. Now, you hear that, by the way, even today in certain charismatic circles, that if you're suffering, it's because you're out of the will of God. Well, if that was the case, Paul was never in the will of God. And that's just absurd. Now, it's in light of these charges that Paul does something very important. Keep this in mind. He said, I'm not going back to Corinth while the situation is like that. I'm not not going to cause you that pain. I'm not going to endure that pain because there's no no reason to subject myself or subject you to that. So what he does is he sends somebody else. He sends a friend of his named Titus. We have a New Testament letter named after, after him. Titus was a young man. He was like Timothy. He was a colleague of Paul. Paul discipled him, and he sends him on to Corinth. He said, I want you to go there and and, and I want you to take care of the problems. You deal with it. And I want you to bring me back word of how they feel about me as an apostle and what they're doing with all that I've I've written to them. And Paul said that, and this was a prearranged situation, that when you return, I will meet you in a city named Troas. Troas was in the northeast corner of Asia Minor, which today would be modern day Turkey. I'll meet you there, and I want you to give me a report of what's going on. What's the result? What's the outcome of your visit with the Corinthians? Their response would be critical to Paul's ministry, and I don't think we quite grasp this, and and I've not emphasized this enough. I think what's going on here is, and this is why Paul was so down, because if the Corinthian church rejected Paul as an apostle, it would jeopardize his entire ministry, jeopardize his entire ministry. Corinth was a major city, and the church was a major church in a major city. If they turned away from Paul and said, we reject your ministry, it is very possible that all the Gentile churches would do that at least that Paul's, Paul's credentials as an apostle would have been weakened. And that's what's at stake here. We, we could say in one sense that his whole apostolic ministry and credibility is at stake with what Corinth does with him. Corinth was one of the earlier churches and a major church in a major city. If they reject him, it could spread. That's why Paul is so down. As I said, we could say in one sense, his entire ministry hinges on the report that Titus is going to bring to him at Troas. And that's why if you look in chapter 2, just go down to verses 12 and 13. We're putting things together. That's the only way to figure this out. Put things together. Notice verses 12 and 13 of Second of, uh, Corinthians 2. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, meaning the people at Troas, the church, I went on to Macedonia. Now, this is fascinating. These verses tell us that when Paul arrived in Troas, Titus wasn't there. He wasn't there. And though Paul found many open doors of opportunities to minister, and we believe if you compare Acts, the book of Acts, that some came to know Christ, and a little church was started here. Though there were, were opportunities to preach the gospel, Paul was so worried and so upset over the Corinthians problem that he actually abandoned a great opportunity to minister the gospel in Troas and he moved on to Macedonia, thinking that he would meet Titus in Macedonia. Now, watch this. This puts it together. After telling us in chapter two, what we just read, verses twelve and thirteen, that he went on to Macedonia to wait for Titus, Paul doesn't say anything more about it. He just drops it. It just sails right out there and it's gone. He moves on. And for those of us, uh, those of you who have been with us for the entire study of Second Corinthians, uh, if you look back at that and think back at that, the structure of a book it looks awfully odd. I went to Macedonia to wait for Titus, and then what happened next, Paul? Well, Paul doesn't tell us, not for several chapters, not until you get to chapter 7. What he does do is he begins a long digression. A long digression from chapter 3 all the way to our present passage in chapter 7. And in this digression, it's sort of a parenthesis in the in the midst of the book. He tells the Corinthian church about some important aspects of his ministry as he defends his ministry. We won't take the time to, to look at all of that, but let me, just, let me just show you the flow of this book. In chapter 3, he begins by telling them of the glory of his message. He calls it the New Covenant. And remember when we looked at that, we said Paul compares the new covenant with the old covenant, which is the law. The new covenant is essentially the gospel we preach, the message of Christ and salvation. And he and he says, the new covenant of which I have been made a minister is so much more glorious than the old covenant. He, he talks about his ministry. That's, that's the entire chapter, the glory of the new covenant ministry. In chapter 4, He tells us how he carries out this glorious ministry. In other words, if the message is so wonderful, then it must have, uh, my life must be in order that I carry it out properly. That's why in chapter 4... Verse two, he says, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of Paul. Paul says, I have a glorious message and I try to live a life that reflects that message. I don't live a life of shame. I've repented of my former life. I handle the word of God accurately. I don't corrupt it in any way. And then in chapter five, he tells us what motivates him, what drives him in his life and ministry to carry on this ministry, because everywhere Paul went, he, uh, he met up with some kind of persecution. Usually a riot broke out, or they threw him in jail, or they tried to take his life. What would compel a man, no matter how glorious the message is, what would compel a man to, to keep getting beat up? Well, he tells us, chapter 5, verse 9, he says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul said, that's what drives me. Whether I live or die, I want to be pleasing to Christ. And he tells us in verse 10 that we must all appear before the, the judgment seat of Christ. Paul said, I know someday I'm going to appear before the Lord, and I'm going to give an account of my life. And I want to make sure that I, my goal and my desire and everything that, that propelled me on was driven by this one passion to please him. But he expands on that in verses 14 and 15 when he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Paul wants it to please Christ because Christ loved him so much that he died for his sins. That's, that's what Paul said. If you want to understand me and you look at my life and it looks like I'm insane, it looks like I'm irrational, I keep going back like I'm a glutton for punishment, understand that what drives me in my ministry, this new covenant glorious ministry, what drives me is I understand that Christ Jesus loved me and loves me and died for my sins. I can do nothing else. That's how Paul explains his ministry. And in chapter six, he tells the Corinthians that the way he conducts his ministry in light of all of this it proves that he's a genuine servant of Christ. How would he why would he do this if he wasn't? Notice chapter 6 verse 3 and then verse 4, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything Paul says, here's how I here's how I do it, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and afflictions and hardships and distresses. You know what he's saying? If you question whether I'm a legitimate servant of God or not, look at all I've endured and continue to endure for Christ. Why would I do this if it wasn't because of Christ himself? If I wasn't a legitimate servant, why would I pretend? There's a, there are a lot easier things to do in life than claim to be a servant of Christ and get beat up. That's his point. That's his point. And in light of being a true servant of the Lord and a true apostle, Paul then says to them, if that be the case and I am your apostle, then I want you to know I love you. Won't you open your heart to me? That, that's what chapter 6 is about, verse 11 and following. Our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our, hearts, uh, our heart is open wide. And he says in the next few verses, but, but yours is not open to me. You don't love me like you should, like I love you. Now, having said that, follow me now. It is only after presenting all these various aspects of his ministry to defend himself that Paul finally, in chapter 7, verse 5, resumes the accounts of waiting for Titus in Macedonia. That's why we read in verse 5, it really picks up the story from chapter 2. For even when we came into Macedonia, you go, where, where did that come from? He's still back in chapter 2. That's where he left off. Our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. He picks up the story, and you know what? Paul, sad to say, is still in the same sorry state of anxiety and depression that we left him in chapter 2. Nothing changed when he got to Macedonia. Listen, he was a depressed apostle in Troas. He moved on to Macedonia, and he was still a depressed apostle as he waited for Titus to show up. He is still in the same miserable state that we left him in chapter 2. He tells us in verse 5, he had no rest, or his flesh, rather, had no rest. Back in chapter 2, he said, my spirit had no rest. Basically, it means the same thing. I think it's just very synonymous. But his meaning, the meaning of it is this, that he had no relief from troubles or pressures, constant, constant pressures, constant troubles and conflicts. Now, what kind of troubles and conflicts? Look at verse 5 again. He says he had external conflicts and internal fears. In other words, he had problems coming to him from outside sources, outside himself. But he also had his own fears that were arising and troubling him from within. So he felt attacked from outside, attacked from inside. It was constant. What were the external conflicts? The external conflicts probably refers to persecution. This word in the Greek language actually means quarrels and, and fightings. So it may very well be that Paul is referring to verbal conflicts. It, it could be that he's also referring to physical persecution, and perhaps it's both conflicts from unbelievers who oppose Paul in the gospel. Remember, Macedonia was the area of the, of the world where the Philippian church was and the Thessalonian church was. And the last time Paul was there, they drove him out of town. The last time he was at Thessalonica, he was driven out of town, and that's why he went to Berea. And he actually told the Thessalonians, Satan hindered us from coming back. So there was really warfare there. Secondly, with the Philippians, the last time he showed up there, they threw him in prison. That's Acts chapter 16. So there would have been Paul's enemies waiting to attack him again.
2: The old invitation hymn, Just As I Am, takes the expression from today's passage, Fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come. Nobody said that life got easy when you became a Christian. If they tell you that, they are deceiving themselves and you. There will be conflicts and pressures and trials in our lives if we live for Jesus. This message and many others are available on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Call us at 727-239-0306 if you are in need of help. Or if you want to start getting regular information from our ministry. If you would like, you can donate to this ministry by calling, sending a gift through the mail, or you can even give online. For Pastor Steve, this is Jerry Pruden inviting you to listen next time on Verse by Verse.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's W262CP.